Welcome to Category Visionaries, the show dedicated to exploring exciting visions for the future from the founders who are on the front lines building it. In each episode, we'll speak with a visionary founder who's building a new category or reimagining an existing one. We'll learn about the problem they solve, how their technology works, and unpack their vision for the future. I'm your host, Brett Stapper, CEO of Frontlines Media. Now let's dive right into today's episode. Hey, everyone, and thanks for listening. Today, I'm speaking with Paul Valente, CEO and co-founder of Viso Trust, a third-party risk management platform that's raised $17 million in funding. Paul, thanks for chatting with me today. Yeah, Brett, I'm delighted to be here. Yeah, so to kick things off, can we just start with a quick summary of who you are and maybe just a bit more about your background? Yeah, so Paul Valente, CEO and co-founder of Viso Trust. Prior to founding Viso Trust, I was a career security professional and technologist. I got a start really at a young age, de-orienting the family businesses for my both of my parents that were running small businesses at the time and and just continued in technology got my start in security really in the around 1999 uh, started working for city government and you know i was doing system administration ended up doing you know firewalls and networks and maintaining crime computers and dispatch and spent some time as a college professor in technology and security and then uh, spent the rest of my career in security most recently was the CISO at several organizations, including Restoration Hardware, Lending Club, ASAP, before uh, founding Viso Trust in early 2020. And I'm sure security has changed a lot since 99, but can you just talk us through some of the biggest evolutions that you've seen since then? Yeah, yeah, it has certainly changed a lot. And, and I would say that the biggest one happens to be you know, very, very closely oriented with what our company does, but I'm not going to go into that you know, here. And it really has to do with what the Garners and the Foresters of the world call digital transformation. In some ways, kind of a boring topic that, you know, CIOs and CTOs, you know, meet at conferences and have lots of conversations around. But it really means that, you know, where at one point there was, you might work with one or two companies, let's say, to help with some aspects of, let's say, your marketing program. You know, today companies rely on hundreds, in some cases, thousands of different tools for marketing, you know, companies of a significant size. So it, there's just greater and greater specialization, more and more uh, technology opportunities out there and companies therefore relying on more and more third parties to do business. And so in the early days for me, what we now call cloud computing or software as a service or cloud apps, which is really, you know, the dominating type of application at this point was just getting started in 1999. You know, there was Salesforce and in the early days, Salesforce was, you know, appealing to small companies for the most part. And I got a job at a company at one point, you know, running technology and security that was a small company that was selling what we call corporate social responsibility software. So this is things like volunteer programs and corporate giving solutions and, and, you know, great things, a really powerful mission. That's part of what attracted me to the company, but a software application set that is at the time was really only interesting to the largest companies in the world. And we were what we then called an application service provider where what we now call SaaS, right? And so companies, you know, we're very, very concerned back then about the idea of using software that was hosted outside of their own environment, right? And obviously today, you know, that's the norm, right? That's what just about everything is. And companies are approaching 100% of their technology, either being owned by third parties or being accessed by third parties. And so 
that kind of transformation, if you will. So back to, you know, kind of the boring terminology from Gartner and Forrester, that digital transformation has really been what has powered my career and ultimately led me to found Visa Trust, which is focused around automating third-party security and third-party cyber risk management. You know, we've had many founders on the show that have cybersecurity products and they come from a background as a practitioner. And a few of them have joked that they felt like they were turning to the dark side as they left the security roles to found a company. Did you have those feelings when you crossed over to launch a a company in a a technology? Well, you know, I don't think I, I mean, there's certainly aspects, right? Because if you're as a CEO of a, of a startup, you know, there's some selling right in this role. But, you know, the fact is there's some selling in your role as a CISO and as a a security professional too. And, you know, that has to do with, you know, with being able to represent value and focus on really what matters for the people you're speaking to, right? And focusing your message around that. And so I see it as a, a pretty logical evolution. I would say that as a security professional, you know, rising through the ranks, if you will, to become a CISO that aspect was, you know, kind of a key aspect of that evolution, right? You're representing ideas, your ideas have implications that aren't always positive in every way for a business or for a program. And you have to figure out not only how to craft those ideas in a way that makes the most sense, you know, for your company, but also, you know, how to communicate those ideas in a way that also makes sense to a variety of different audiences, right? And so, I see it as a pretty logical evolution, you know, from the role of a CISO to a CEO for me and haven't particularly regarded it as kind of turning to the dark side, if you will. Is it weird for you, though, like when you go to Black Hat or RSA, you're just with that dynamic shift where before when you were CISO of these big companies, I'm sure everyone was trying to shower you with gifts. Everyone was pitching you. Oh, yes. And now you're on the other (laughs) side of that, right? Now you're the one doing the selling. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not like getting winning raffles and getting Yetis and Playstations anymore. I certainly miss that. It's a definitely a, a different type of, um, of working environment for sure. And yes, it's a very different role at things like RSA. You know, so we've done Black Hat and RSA both now. RSA was the first time that we've had a really well thought out, organized, executed strategy for the whole conference, which we're just coming out of right now you know, orchestrated by our marketing team. And yeah, it's absolutely different. And, you know, the mindset that you have going into those is, like you said, completely reversed. And, and yes, it can be a little bit weird. It's a new beast and, and new territory to learn as a founder. Absolutely. It must just give you a lot of empathy, though, as well, right? So you can really empathize with these CISOs that you're probably trying to sell to because you've been in their shoes. You know what resonated when you know they were trying, or vendors were trying to sell you, and you, of course, know what doesn't work and makes you mad when vendors, you know, reach out in certain ways or contact you in certain ways. So I'm sure that's just given you this like insane level of empathy that you can have with your target customers today, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think that's a huge advantage over you know somebody that just went to school and then. Y Combinator or whatever, and then it's trying to do a cybersecurity solution or trying to interface with CISOs, for instance. So yeah, CISOs and security professionals are unique and they want to be sold to in a way that's unique as well. They're very skeptical of solutions. They're skeptical of new technologies like AI, for instance. Our, our company is you know really founded on using AI to solve security problems. And so, so yeah, it's really important to have that empathy and to understand that they don't want kind of dumb outreach. They don't want 
marketing speak. They don't want, you know, kind of fluff, although they may appreciate a perk every now and then. And so, yeah, I mean, I think that empathy is really, really important. Having that perspective is really important and being focused on making sure that you appeal to that, that mindset and, and make sure to give them really valuable experiences, right. That are really informative. And I think that's fundamental to selling to security. And I mean, while it's probably really important for other areas too, I think it's other segments of perhaps enterprise B2B, you know, folks are certainly less skeptical and maybe a little more accustomed to to more salesy outreach than security professionals are are comfortable with. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And now to switch gears a little bit, I'd love to dive a bit deeper into the company. So can you take me back to, it looks like you launched in January, 2020. So take me back to January, 2020. What was going on? You know, what were those early conversations like with your co-founder and investors and, and what was happening at that time? Yeah, yeah. So if you don't mind, I'm going to take you actually even a little bit further back because my co-founder and I actually started working on this problem pretty significant amount of time before that. And that's essentially when we decided to go full-time this first of the year 2020. And so, uh, while I won't, you know, cover every detail, you know, several years before, you know, Russ and I worked together at a company called Lending Club, which was growing very rapidly, kind of cascading towards IPO, ultimately a very successful IPO. And, you know, we were highly regulated financial services but all at the same time had that amazing growth rate, you know, to keep up with and needed to avoid a breach while satisfying, you know, key growth initiatives for the company. And one of the areas that became a focal point for us was third-party cyber management. So kind of every key growth initiative had vendors and solutions and business process outsourcers and apps associated with it that we needed to vet for risk and we needed to, you know, figure out how to implement quickly and securely where appropriate. And that quickly became a bottleneck as we tried various approaches. And, you know, we really tried every type of approach, whether it was questionnaire-based systems or or GRC tools or, or ratings vendors or, you know, exchanges. Everywhere we turned, it was either too much work to run, inaccurate data, or essentially low vendor adoption, getting not enough coverage of our third-party population. And and so, you know, we decided to explore different approaches and we built some in-house tools, came up with some innovative ideas and had some early success that we started sharing, you know, with our networks. And we started hearing from folks that not only was what we did, you know, novel, but we were just very far ahead of teams that had been, you know, hard at work trying to build these processes or using various tools, you know, for many years. And folks were telling us, you got to build this, you know, for everybody, you guys should start a company right now. My co-founder, you know, moved out to the West coast from Atlanta, where he was working for Dell SecureWorks, not only to join the team at Lending Club, but ultimately he was, that was his interest, right? You know, I'd had experience, you know, working in small business environments and running side hustles here and there but I'd never done or really investigated the venture-backed model. And so, so that became, you know, a topic of discussion for us. We started, you know, dedicated time, nights and weekends to what would become Viso Trust. We started with building prototypes and started building AI models. We filed patents, you know, and we interacted with actually over 300 CISOs leading roundtables around the country in order to kind of further research and, and further foster ideas and get feedback. And really our work at ASAP, which, you know, we led the security program and built the security program at ASAP as the 
first dedicated security leadership there, you know, now a unicorn out of New York. And there we got to work with, you know, shoulder to shoulder with one of the best AI research teams in the world. And so that was really a chance to further our AI knowledge and our ability to solve security problems with AI. And that was kind of the final galvanizing experience and missing piece, if you will, for us. And we went full-time, as you said, first of the year 2020, started fundraising and did our seed round middle of that year. And within you know 45 days or so, had launched a production platform and started booking revenue. Wow. And could you give us an idea of any growth numbers or adoption metrics that you can share just to demonstrate some of that traction that you're seeing today? Yeah. Yeah. So we've got over 35 large enterprise customers at this point. These are companies typically around 5,000 is the average, but companies above 10,000 in employment as well. And kind of lesser concentration below 1,000 in employment, but, but a handful of customers on that side too. And we've just seen amazing, amazing growth. Our platform is underpinned by a network of over two and a half million companies. And our customers have been able to assess tens of thousands of third parties on our platform. And what do you think you've gotten right? Obviously, there's just a lot of cybersecurity vendors out there today. When you walk the halls of Black Hat or RSA, you really see them. What have you done to break through the noise, or I should say rise above the noise and really attract that attention of these massive enterprise organizations that every cybersecurity company would probably dream of working with? Yeah, you know, I think for us, we took a really novel approach to an old problem, right? Third-party cybersecurity management is not a new problem. It, you know, it started, like I said earlier, like around the early 2000s to be, you know, an important, important area. And throughout that time, there's really been just those three approaches, either questionnaires, ratings, or exchanges, and exchanges really kind of being questionnaires again. And you know, one key experience for me working as a business person and as a CISO at Lending Club was actually learning in the loan business, which is what Lending Club is, personal loans, you know, how, how important it is to consider friction with regard to any sort of business flow. And what I think has, you know, failed throughout this space is for folks to really understand that there's so many technologies today that companies want to take advantage of, so many vendors, business process outsourcers, partners, other relationships, right, where risk is a concern, that in order to scale, you really do have to address the friction. And there's friction on both sides of third-party cyber management, not only for you know folks trying to assess third parties, but also for the vendors being assessed themselves. And so we prioritize that friction on both sides in a way that companies, you know, haven't in the past. And we also, through an analysis and experience and really, you know, living on for decades on both sides of this problem, we recognize that there's really two core issues. There's quality of data in order to make valuable risk decisions about third parties. And then there's this issue of scale because companies today need to rely on thousands, sometimes tens of thousands of third parties to do business. And So it's really those realizations and focusing our product around that, that has allowed us to do things differently and solve this problem in a way that, you know, delivers complete coverage of third-party populations while eliminating 90% of the work and delivering, you know, assessments and, you know, a tiny fraction of the time that they took before. So, and central to that is also, of course, AI, but it was those key insights that allowed us to, to see the opportunity for sure. 
This show is brought to you by Frontlines Media, a podcast production studio that helps B2B founders launch, manage, and grow their own podcast. Now, if you're a founder, you may be thinking, I don't have time to host a podcast. I've got a company to build. Well, that's exactly what we built our service to do. You show up and host, and we handle literally everything else. To set up a call to discuss launching your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. Now, back to today's episode. And when it comes to the market category, how are you viewing this? Are you redefining third-party risk management and just making it better and faster? Or is this eventually going to be a category creation play where you create a new category from scratch? Yeah, you know, that's a great question. And, you know, I'll admit that I don't have a, I have a crystal ball. I certainly see us as reinventing third-party cyber risk management right now. But the fact is, though, is we're at a point in history where the role of the CISO, the real role of the security team, their responsibilities are, are changing from, you know, how do I do various capabilities for security internally, like threat response and application security uh, and vulnerability management to how do I duplicate those processes or, or capabilities across thousands of third-party relationships where there is this, you know, somewhat arm's length and abstraction layer kind of between us. And that's really what we've been able to solve for and empower folks to really embrace that transformation. So controlling risk while accelerating business, while continuing to innovate with third-party solutions. And the corpus of data that we've built, which focuses on this is a bit of a mouthful, but the automated interpretation of security-related language and the elimination of complex risk workflows that you might see in, you know, across platforms like, you know, complex platforms like like Archer or, or you know, ZenGRC or that sort of thing, or OnSpring, we've been able to, you know, completely eliminate a lot of those complex workflows, particularly in this area. So there's an opportunity to essentially use the network that we've built and the underlying technology and corpus of data and machine learning models to do all sorts of things. And, you know, so things that we've added recently are, you know, things like nth party intelligence, which is, you know, looking at not only your third parties, but your fourth parties, your fifth parties, et cetera, to also, you know, automating other aspects of the process, you know, so things around privacy, things around resilience, things around customer trust, you know, on the other side of the network. So, you know, lots of potential to go, you know, pretty far beyond third-party cyber risk management and areas that we're already extending out into. So definitely potential for, for new, new market categories here. You've mentioned AI there. Are you finding it difficult at all to stand out with AI? Obviously, everyone is using that term now. And, you know, everyone has .AI in their domains. So what are you doing to yeah. you know, educate customers so that they know that you know, this isn't just you trying to use the buzzword, but it's, it's real and there's something really tangible there? Yeah, you know, that's a really great point, Brett. It's a double-edged sword, maybe even like a triple-edged sword, I think, to using the AI terminology. You know, initially, we kind of didn't emphasize it too much, even though we've always been an AI-focused company. And, you know, the reason for that is that, you know, as a security professional, as a CISO, I tried a lot of AI touting tools. And, you know, what I would consistently find, especially, you know, like in the source space or whatnot, is is we get, you know, thousands of alerts, for instance, generated by AI with like a 50% confidence, right? Which means you need a team of individuals to kind of sift through that to find out, you know, what's actually meaningful. And so folks, you know, hearing kind of us being focused on AI could easily think that it's either that, right? Which is like, yeah, it sounds really great on the surface, but there's a ton of work hidden under there. 
or that it's just like pure BS, right? Which, you know, sometimes folks would come across that at times as well. And again, security folks are already skeptical. So that was a challenge. I, I think that with the recent prominence of AI and obviously that being kind of sparked by chat GPT has actually given us in a certain way more permission to kind of talk about it because people are interacting with AI, you know, at the consumer level, so to speak, um, or at the experimentation or even recreational level in a way that has given them a deeper understanding of, of what's available and the power of AI than they had before. And so that has kind of, for us, given us a, a leg up on having those conversations in a meaningful, incredible way. And for us, it's not, while we do amazing things with AI, for sure, it's really about the combination of using AI and the data that we've collected, which is an absolutely unique data set that's continuing to kind of grow you know, on its own exponentially. And our unique view on this otherwise very complex business process of evaluating third parties. So it's really that kind of whole picture that gives us our value. It's not just, you know, are you using, you know, large language models or are you doing a named entity recognition or are you, you know, doing sentiment analysis or, or supervised learning, all of which are within our toolbox and our areas that are takes advantage of it in various ways, if that makes sense. It's that whole package, really. Yeah, makes complete sense. And in terms of the go-to-market motion, I'm guessing this is enterprise sales top-down, is that correct? So yes, we're focused on kind of direct sales. We also do a lot with regard to social networking and thought leadership. We, we host uh, webinars, which are really valuable for the community, sometimes uh, somewhat ancillary to third-party cyber risk management or tangential rather on a regular basis. We publish lots of valuable research as well. And we also, you know, do events and interact directly with the CISO community. That being said, though, we actually, our app onboards folks in four minutes. So full-blown security, uh, third-party cyber risk management program, you know, uh, with really no effort by companies with any sort of setup or anything. And that has led us to build, essentially, we're in the early stages of essentially a product-enabled sales, I would say which could eventually, you know, get to um, just pure product led, but we have a self-registration feature. We've, we've got an earlier, an early freemium offering. We have the ability to address customers really at any, at any size and at any level of maturity with regard to this process in a very, very powerful way. So we're continuing to kind of extend, you know, what we do in both directions since there's such a broad appeal on the platform so far. And I'll link to your website in the show notes so that listeners can check it out. But I, I do want to call it out because it's just beautifully done. I think from a branding perspective, it's just very unique in cybersecurity. A lot of the the big sites that I see in cyber, they're kind of scary. You know, it's like the FUD-based approach, like they, they make your heart race. And it seems like you've taken a very different approach. And I'm guessing that was very intentional and you've been very thoughtful in that approach. Is that fair to say? Absolutely. And thank you. I'm delighted by the feedback. That site was released actually pretty recently. Uh, just before RSA, actually, and is the work of our our marketing team and other aspects of our team, our designers, some of the same folks that have that have worked on building the product as well. So we're very, very proud of taking really user experience, you know, very, very seriously from very early on as a company. And it's important for us to provide, you know, experiences for folks that are working on this previously very arduous process kind of thanklessly to take that experience to heart. So we've, we've tried to do the same with our website as well. And I'm really delighted to hear the positive feedback. Yeah, no problem. 
And if you reflect back or you know, go back to your CISO days, can you recall anything that vendors did that just really pissed you off or you know upset you um, that you you have put into your company today to make sure that you never do that to a CISO or a security leader that you're trying to sell to? Does anything come to mind? Oh my goodness, there are so many stories dealing with vendors. So you know, I've dealt with the worst one. A good number of vendor breaches, and you know, one was actually a security company. You know, obviously, there's limited detail I can share, but they actually had a tool that we were working with that would naturally collect information that might be relevant to a breach or to a, a security incident. And we actually, you know, had to troubleshoot an area with them. And they ended up moving our data into a test environment for that. And we later got notification, you know, from them, which is the good part that they were transparent about it, that they had ported that information, you know, accidentally into another customer or other customers' environments. And, you know, obviously that's a breach scenario for us. So, and that sort of story, you know, there's lots of instances, unfortunately, of, of those sorts of things happening. And kind of telemetry on those things happening is a, is a key aspect of our value prop today. So we're always looking at third-party breaches now. But yeah, that was a particular kind of a bad to worse sort of scenario. You know, we're already investigating a breach and, you know, lo and behold, that leads to a, a different breach, which that really sucks, right? So yeah, that story definitely stands out. And what about Gartner? So back when you were a CISO, did Gartner have a lot of influence on the vendors that you chose to work with? Uh, no, ultimately I would say no. I think the where they really did contribute, which is important is, you know, if we're doing like an RFP or an RFI, we're definitely gonna look at their reports. We're gonna look at who's prominent, and we're going to make sure to visit them on our list. Were they ever kind of instrumental in making a decision? No, but certainly hugely helpful in that process, right? If you need to get a, a quick idea of, you know, who's out there and, you know, some different aspects to the approaches, those can be very, very useful for sure. But I'd certainly never got anything from Gardner that kind of like led me to the solution. And and I, I often actually, when reading kind of their analysis on like who's different and why, you know, why folks might be a market leader or not. Definitely good information. I found it more valuable as a founder, actually, but as a practitioner, it was never really deep enough. And the details that are pertinent to security or pertinent to kind of deep technology wouldn't necessarily really be on the mark anyway. So those aspects were less useful, but there was certainly some use. And, you know, as a founder, I've continued to find the market analysis and information interesting and useful for sure. And final question for you on the topic of you being a CISO. So what's the number one piece of advice that you'd have to a founder who is early stage, just launching their product? If they want to engage CISOs and security leaders, what's the number one piece of advice that you'd have for them? So I think the most important thing is to start engaging CISOs and security leaders and folks that will be having their hands on your platform really as soon as possible. You know, don't wait, you know, till you've built very much. Don't invest much in building until you've gotten really, really a lot of feedback. And, you know, use the fact that, you know, you've got an idea and that it's early and that you want feedback as a way to essentially build your network as well as obviously collect that feedback. There's a lot of CISOs out there that are actively interested in contributing ideas and seeing those ideas, you know, kind of come to light. And there's also lots of them that want to, are hoping that those things will pan out into advisory relationships. Lots of CISOs engage in advisory relationships. And so, 
you can use that not only to help craft your approach and validate your hypothesis, but also over time, as you do start building, you're going to keep using those relationships. And some of those are going to end up, you know, being the folks that you close, you know, early deals with. So I'd say, you know, engage CISOs and security leaders, you know, as quickly as possible. Take advantage of some of that goodwill out there of those folks wanting to leverage their ideas and their expertise to get that feedback and build relationships as quickly as possible. Wow. That's super, super useful advice for any founders listening in. Now, final question of the interview before we wrap, let's zoom out into the future. So can you paint the three-year picture and that high-level vision of what the company is going to achieve over the next, let's say, three to five years? Yeah. Yeah. So I mentioned a little bit earlier about that transformation of the CISO from internal capabilities to, to how do I do these across thousands of third parties. Uh, and for us, that means, you know, kind of powering the corpus of data and network to continue to grow and allow us to address more and more use cases, driving towards ultimately becoming the de facto standard for business transactions and the largest global provider of, of cyber risk intelligence on the planet. That's really what kind of this model of the flywheel of the network and uh, the AI-based approach, you know, allows us to focus on. And, you know, for us, you know, that means solving bigger and bigger problems for companies, enabling, you know, marketplace opportunities for security providers within our network that can help vendors better appeal to their customers, which is what's really happening in the ecosystem that our platform creates and to continue to solve problems and help secure uh, entire ecosystems, you know, across the globe. So that's really, you know, what we're inspired by and what we're focused on and, and building, you know, what will become a, a household brand as far as cybersecurity is concerned. Amazing. I love it. Paul, we are up on time, so we're going to have to wrap here. Before we do, if people want to follow along with your journey as you continue to build and execute on this vision, where should they go? Yeah. So definitely follow us on uh, LinkedIn. Follow me on LinkedIn. We do lots of exciting outreach and updates there. And feel free to reach out to me, Paul, at Advice of Trust anytime if you want to interact or, or look for synergies. Amazing. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to talk about what you're building and share some of these valuable lessons. It's been a super interesting conversation and I've really enjoyed it. And I know our audience is going to as well. So thank you so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. Well, Brett, thank you so much for having me. And thanks to the audience for listening in today. No problem. Let's keep in touch. This episode of Category Visionaries is brought to you by Frontlines Media, Silicon Valley's leading podcast production studio. If you're a B2B founder looking for help launching and growing your own podcast, visit frontlines.io slash podcast. And for the latest episode, search for Category Visionaries on your podcast platform of choice. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you on the next episode. 